Our sermon passage this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 38. Hear the word of the Lord. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word, that your word is fruitful, that your word builds up and encourages. We pray that you would do that in our hearts, that your word would spring forth life in us and continually uniting us together with you, challenging us where we need to be challenged, encouraging us where we need to be encouraging, encouraged and binding us together as one body. We pray that you would do this miraculous work through Christ and your spirit working in us this morning. Amen. <clears throat> you know, to, to be elite at something means that you're, you're, you're one of a few people that can accomplish something. For instance, you know, most people who play sports don't become professional athletes. It's only a small group of people that, that, that can do that, or, or only the elite can even actually sit on the bench of a professional sports team. You know, you know most people that train to be in the special forces of, of the military don't actually make it into the special forces because only a small group of people, only the elite can make it. And that's the whole point of being among an elite group of people. It means that there's not many like you. You're unique. And if everyone was elite, then it would just be average, right? So to be elite means that you're one of a few. And here in our passage this morning, one of the things we find is that disciples are mistakenly thinking that they're part of some elite crew in their following of Jesus. They think that they're the only ones, that they have some sort of secret sauce of the kingdom. And if you want it, you have to actually come to them to get it. And listen, they're happy to help when people come to them. They, they actually like it when people come to them and, and ask them for, for help, for healing, because they like to be the source. It makes them feel special. And here, Jesus is teaching them a very difficult lesson. And this will actually, I think, be a very challenging lesson for us this morning, as it was a challenging lesson for me this week. Uh, and it's that the kingdom of God is not centered around just one group of Christians. It's not centered around one denomination or one theological tradition. No one group of people owns the gospel of the kingdom. And what makes the idea that we possibly could so problematic is that when we take this position, that, that we can own it, we end up making the mission that God has graciously given his people and, and joined us to about us, not about Jesus. We end up building kingdoms of man instead of the, the kingdom of God. And you know, on the heels, like last week, they were just learned what true greatness was of service, of laying down your life for others. They show that they don't yet understand 
what greatness actually looks like, at least not according to the kingdom of Christ. And we struggle with this too. You know, it's our particular tradition as a church. You know, I am unapologetically what's considered reformed Presbyterian. Even if you don't know what that means, it's okay. I, I love the tradition that we have. You know, one pastor jokes that, you know, if, if I could be, if there were six points to Calvinism, I'd be a six-point Calvinist, right? But that doesn't mean that our particular tradition has the market cornered on Christianity. It doesn't even mean that our tradition is actually right about everything, if you can believe it. It doesn't mean that we don't also have blind spots. Of course, we don't think we have blind spots, but that's the very nature of a blind spot, right? That you don't actually see it. You don't know that you have them. And what Jesus is showing the disciples <clears throat> is, that, is our need for humility in the work of the kingdom. He's showing us that God's kingdom is a Catholic kingdom. You know, when I say that word, I imagine many of us feel uncomfortable uh, and your hair raises a little bit. You said that we're Catholic. I don't think you're supposed to say that, Craig. Um, but remember, what do we actually confess every week as a community? That we're part of what? The Holy Catholic Church. And it's this lowercase c, and what that means is we're part of the universal church. Which the universal church is the church from all time and, and all places. It's the universal church. You know, we don't profess that we believe in the Holy Presbyterian Church or the, the Holy Church of Yakima or the Holy Church of the United States of America, but the Holy Catholic one. Because God saves all kinds of peoples around all the world through all sorts of traditions. Christianity is at its heart a Catholic religion. It's Catholic because God is Catholic. And in this, there's this call for us to be a Catholic people too. And there's, I think there's three aspects of what it means to be the Holy Catholic Church that we're going to learn from this text this morning. The first is this. The Holy Catholic Church has a shared work. The Holy Catholic Church has a shared work. We see this you know, verse 38 here. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. So this is kind of unique scene, right? That someone, someone else that they don't know is, is casting out demons in the name of Jesus. And so the disciples, right, they're trying to stop him. And it seems like they, they're pretty proud of it too. They, maybe they expected that Jesus would thank them and commend them for the great work of stopping this person. And why did, why did he stop him from casting out demons? It says because he was not following them. He wasn't following the disciples. He wasn't one of their inner circle. And this is kind of fascinating because earlier in the gospel, Mark and Mark 5, you know, Jesus actually sends the disciples out on this mini mission to what? Part of what he sent them out to was actually to cast out demons. And, uh, and so now you have someone else doing it and trying to proclaim the kingdom. And it seems that the work has moved beyond just that inner circle and it's actually going out into the masses and other people are, are picking it up and, and proclaiming it. And you would think that this is actually a, a good thing. You know, for us as a church, when, when you find the ministry of the church moving beyond just its pastors and leaders, that's actually a good sign. That's a sign that, that our work is working. If, if all the work in the church revolves around me, that's not healthy for us because it's not about me. And you would think the disciples might be excited and they would actually come to Jesus and instead say, Jesus, this is amazing. You wouldn't guess what we saw. Someone else that doesn't even follow us is proclaiming your name and seeing your name cast out demons. How awesome is that? And yet here, it's the opposite response. Disciples didn't like it. They didn't like <clears throat> someone else that they didn't know doing work in Jesus' name. 
And what makes this posture so hideous is where it ends up leading them. Because it actually leads them against the mission of Christ. And when you place yourself and your cause as the most important thing, you end up actually going against the work that Christ is doing. Right? Look, Jesus, we stopped someone from, uh, checks notes, casting out demons. Isn't this awesome? And it's like, wait a second, you what? You, you did what? You, why would you stop that? Are you a fan of demons? Do you, do you like it when demonic oppression reigns? Why would you stop this? Well, because Jesus, he, he, he wasn't one of us. He didn't do it like we did. And so, so we stopped him. So let me get this straight. You would rather demons flourish than have another group flourish? Is, is that, was that what you want, disciples? Right? Their tribalism, their elitism caused them to actually work against the very mission of Christ. And for us, unless we adopt a Catholic spirit, we are saying the same thing. The gospel of Jesus doesn't belong to one church or one tradition. It's a work shared with all those who have faith in Jesus. The church is universal. And so its work is universal, meaning sharing the gospel and, and seeing freedom from demonic oppression is the work of all Christian traditions, not just one. And we should be a people who rejoice when the gospel is transforming the lives, even if it's happening, gasp in other churches and other traditions. This is a challenge I've thought about a lot this week. Like I said, I, I love our tradition. I love how we do things. I think it's the best way, which is why we do it the way we do it. But the question is, would I be happy? Would you be happy? Would we all be happy if another church was thriving and people's lives were being changed by the power of Christ if our own church was imploding and about to die? I don't know. I don't know if I could be. I would, it's easy for me to say, yes, of course I would be. But I don't know. If I, if I honestly would be. And what Jesus is pointing to us is the beautiful work of Jesus. That it can't be contained by one tradition and one language. It doesn't belong to one group of people. It's inherently Catholic. It's bigger than one tradition because it's universal. And we're called away from our self-righteous elitism that says God can only work if all your points of doctrine line up with ours. And it says to trust that God's spirit is thankfully much bigger and works much more broadly than through us, and much more broadly probably than we're even comfortable with. And when I say these things, there's this fear that comes along with it that I don't think is entirely misplaced. There's a fear that comes along with the ecumenical kind of Catholic talk, because we live in this relativistic world where doctrine is, is unimportant, and so we fear that, that we're just promoting some loosey-goosey religion where anything goes, it doesn't matter what you believe, and we're just trying to coexist. But that's actually not what Jesus is promoting here at all. Uh, the reason why we actually don't need to fear what I'm talking about is that a Catholic church does have orthodoxy. It does have doctrine. As one pastor says, the Catholic church just ensures that Jesus alone is the line of orthodoxy. And this is the second aspect that we learn here about the Holy Catholic Church, that the Holy Catholic Church has an orthodoxy. The Holy Catholic Church has... An orthodoxy. There, there is an orthodoxy, a, a belief that's required to be considered part of the Holy Catholic Church. There is, there is a belief that unites all Christians together, but it's not a subscription to the Westminster Confession of Faith or the Heidelberg Catechism. It's not your view on gender roles. It isn't your view on ecclesiology, the way the church is structured. Not that those things aren't vitally important things, but those are not the things that make up, that draw the lines of the universal church. So what is? It's Jesus. 
Jesus is a line in the sand that unites and divides us from every other church. We see this here in verse 39. But Jesus said, do not stop him. Right? For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterward to speak evil of me. Right? The first thing Jesus tells the disciples, like, listen, don't stop this person. Uh, you, can, you don't need to stop this person. It's good that they're doing this. You know, but Jesus knows that we struggle with tribalism and so he so, shows his disciples and us the Catholic way. So why isn't Jesus worried about this man? Well, he says, because he isn't speaking evil of me. Because he isn't speaking evil of Jesus. More than that, whoever's truly of Jesus actually is unable to speak evil of him. And if by chance this man turns out to be a fraud, uh, then it will, it'll happen in his words. One day, he, then he will speak evil of me. We'll know it when he speaks evil. But as it stands at this moment, he is doing a mighty work. He's doing, which is short for miracles. It's this word that we get our word dynamite from. He's doing a powerful dynamite work in the name of Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name. He's saying, let him. It isn't by this man's power that he's doing the work, but it's by the power that's vested in the name of Jesus. Let it echo through creation. Don't stop this. And what we learn is that it's a right view of Jesus that makes us part of this universal church. Jesus is that line in the sand. He is our baseline orthodoxy. That doesn't mean that there's not more to this idea of orthodoxy, but it actually all revolves around what we believe about Jesus. This is where we would say that the Apostles' Creed is probably the, the great summary of baseline Christianity that unites all Christians together. To be a member of our church, you have to, you, belief-wise, if you affirm the Apostles' Creed, you're welcome to be a member because that is our line of orthodoxy. And, and the Apostles' Creed speaks more than just the person of Christ, but it all flows from our view of Christ. In, in the history of the church... All heresies start with the wrong view of Jesus. Trying to figure out, okay, is he man or is he God? Is he created or is he before creation? All of the heresies that came up in the history of the church and many of the creeds that are written are all correcting a wrong view of Christ and the Trinity. And so for the church, we, our belief revolves around how we view Jesus. And one thing that maybe we don't like about this is how broad it is. Right, there's, there's a lot of traditions out there that we have very strong disagreements with. And I think this is good and okay. We shouldn't be afraid of the distinctives that we have that make us us. I like the distinctives of our tradition. It's probably why many of us are here in this particular church, because you like, or at least generally like, what makes us different than other churches. But our distinctives, as good as I think they are, and as helpful as I think they are, are not the line of orthodoxy. Jesus is. Our distinctives in this room aren't even the, our source of unity. Jesus is. This is his table we gather around each week to be fed by. Because of this, we don't need to be afraid of a holy Catholic church because it has boundaries. And we should want churches who believe in Jesus to be successful in their mission to reach the world with the gospel, right? For gospel transformation to happen in them. And we see this in verse 40. For the one who is not against us is for us. Those that you're united to us who have same faith in, in Jesus, so they're on our team. They're not our enemies. Even though other churches may do things very differently than us, they aren't against us. Even though we may disagree on significant things, they are not our enemies. 
in this, I think one thing that Jesus is doing, he's actually blessing uh, denominations. We often think denominations are a sign of disunity and, and chaos in the Protestant church, but I actually think denominations are good for us. They are a uniquely Christian thing in any other religion. They are all designed for rigid uniformity. You don't have different denominations. You have some, some small, random rebel sects of different uh, traditions, but in uh, other religions, they don't have denominations like we have. Because they're designed for rigid uniformity. It's like walking into a Starbucks in Dubai. It's going to look the same and have the same drinks as the Starbucks you walk into uh, in Yakima. Uh, They're not unique from one to another. Not really. And so sometimes we can confuse Catholicity with uniformity. This is actually what's ironic about the Roman Catholic Church is it claims to be Catholic universal. But it actually practices rigid uniformity. Uniformity. Catholicity is not uniformity, it's actually harmony. It's like different instruments playing alongside each other in an orchestra. So the the true Catholic church is like this. Playing different parts, harmonizing with each other, making one beautiful song. And if you claim Christ, you're for us and we're for you. And so we have sacramental fellowship with all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And what that means is it means all those who claim Christ Christ come to this table and we fellowship around the sacraments that God has given the church. But there's a flip side, that if you repudiate Christ, if you deny his divinity, if, if a tradition speaking evil about him and de- denies his virgin birth and resurrection, if, if there's a church that speaks ill of Jesus, then they are not part of the Catholic church. They actually are of Satan. And we do not want those to succeed. In fact, we want those traditions to fail. You know, what's interesting is that the people that we bought this building from, the Universalist Church, when we were meeting with them to tour through the building, um, Dave and I were talking to their leadership and they said to us, listen, we want you guys to succeed. Which is an interesting thing because for us to succeed, it actually means for them to fail. They probably, if they understood this idea of Catholicity, which maybe they do in some degrees, they call themselves a Universalist Church, they thought that we were on their same team. But because they deny Christ, they actually actually are our enemies. However, whoever claims Christ is united to us through him. And we can embrace each other because Jesus has embraced us and he has brought many traditions into his body. And one thing that Jesus is pointing to here is that because of all this, because of the Holy Catholic Church, the Holy Catholic Church is actually a gift. It's a blessing to us. This is the third and final thing that we learn about the Holy Catholic Church, that the Holy Catholic Church is a gift. The Holy Catholic Church is a gift. We see this here in the last verse, verse 41. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. What Jesus is saying is that, listen, if you're Catholic, if you love the church, I won't forget that. Right? When you love and you serve the body of Christ, you serve Christ himself. Jesus doesn't forget this work. And what's really interesting here is, is the receiver. He says, right, whoever gives you a cup of water. He's putting the, the disciples in the position of being the receivers. They're not the ones that are giving the cup of water. They're the ones that are actually receiving the cup of water. They were to receive the work done by this other person, even though he did it differently than them. Even though he wasn't part of their group, they were to receive it. One of the things Jesus is pointing out is just our need for each other. Jesus is placing the disciples in the place of need. Listen, we would love to see our church grow and 
have influence over this city in central Washington. And one of our goals and things that's part of a mission is we want to see more and more churches like ours planted throughout central Washington. And we're working towards that end. But if all we want to see grow is the Presbyterian church, then we really don't need anyone else for that work. We just need ourselves. But if we want to actually see the, the Great Commission accomplished, to see Christ proclaimed and believed on everywhere, in all the lands of the earth, we need everyone. The call that God has given his church, his people is bigger than one denomination. We need the Catholic church. The question is how? How do we need each other? Well, as one pastor says, listen, every tradition has something for us to learn from, if we're willing. Right? The, the Baptists have this great zeal and passion for evangelism and missions. They have worked hard and done well evangelizing the world, sending church plants around the globe. We have much to learn from their zeal and their passion. We can learn from the, the Methodists and those of the holiness tradition, their passion for piety and holiness. If we only were a people who sought holiness like they do. We can learn from the Anglicans and their love for the ordinary means of grace and the mystery of worship. We're so heady in our tradition that we can forget the mysteries of the faith. We think we can explain every aspect uh, in, in, of faith in our confession, but, but we can't. There's mystery that we need to be able to rest in. We can learn from our charismatic brothers and sisters and their confidence that the Spirit of God is working and active and present in this world. Now, we could easily point out the blind spots of these traditions, couldn't we? In our tradition, we're really good at that. We love doing that. We love evaluating and judging, and we do it without thinking because we think that we're right. Which, to be fair, I actually think we're right on the matters of doctrine. But pointing out the flaws of every tradition uh, is not the point here. The point that Jesus is showing his disciples is that perhaps the body of Christ doesn't need us Perhaps we're the ones that need them. Perhaps the diversity within Christendom is what makes it beautiful. That we need each other. That we are gifts to each other. And we are all necessary for Christ's body to flourish and grow because Christ's body is Catholic. It's like if you were planting a garden. You plant different kinds of vegetables and fruits that produce in different parts of the, the growing and harvest season. Right? You plant certain plants next to each other so that they can get the sun that they need and the nutrients from the soil that they need. You plant flowers for beauty, but also so you have bees coming into your garden. Right? The diversity in a garden actually helps the garden to be healthy. This is the church that Jesus has come to build. The holy Catholic church against, against which the gates of hell will not prevail. This is what he come to build. This is what he came and died for. This is what he rose for. And as we are united to him, we're invited to be part of this. At the end of the day, we are called to be Catholic because Jesus is. His intentions are universal. Revelations 5, 9 says, says it like this, that by your blood, you ransom people for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. We are Catholic because the blood of Christ is Catholic. It was shed to redeem the whole church, not just our small corner. So let us be Catholic as Christ is Catholic. Let us be a people who rejoice in the work that God is doing among all peoples and in all nations by those who do mighty works in the name of Jesus. Let us think of ourselves humbly and let us serve and think much of those that are laboring in different churches. 
Not that we can't challenge them, not that we can't have disagreements over doctrine, but at the end of the day, recognizing that those disagreements happen within the family, that we don't get to decide who's in or out. May we be this kind of church, a church that actually truly rejoices in the success of other churches, confident in the great gospel of Christ that goes before us, that goes beyond us, that'll be here long after our church is no more. But may we remember that Jesus is building his kingdom and he's inviting us along to join him in this work. So let us do that. Let us joyfully join the work that he has given us in his church at large. Pray with me. Merciful Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your church. Your church that is much bigger than the work that's happening here and that you still invite us into it, encouraging us, calling us to proclaim the the doctrines of Christ wherever we find ourselves. I pray that you would give us fruit in our ministry here, that people would come to know you through our work, and not just our work, but through the work of all the churches in our city, that your name would be rightly proclaimed, and there would be great unity in the churches centered around you. We give you thanks in the name of Christ. Amen.